Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Take your Bible, find John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And uh, thank you, Dr. Pace. Uh, Always good to be with Dr. Lawless and just to see what God is doing here. Wonderful just to be able to have a time of worship, also to firsthand see what I know to be true, and that's the seminary's heart for the Great Commission, having uh, missionaries right here in residence. Uh, thank you all for your service. And let me just say, by the way, as you're praying about where God may lead you, um, I know that this seminary and Dr. Aiken and others boldly call you to go. I mean, it's pretty clear. It says that right there, doesn't it? Go. And, uh, and we, of course, would encourage you to, to understand and know you've got great partners with Southern Baptist, with our International Mission Board. Man, I don't know why anybody would want to go with anyone else as a sending agency other than them. They're great partners for our churches. Of course, our North American Mission Board, uh, the emphasis on church planning and evangelism, the work they do with chaplains. I've lived most of my life in Virginia. We've got a number of military bases there. Of course, uh, largest army base in the United States is right here in North Carolina. And I think about the ministry of our chaplains. But it may be that God calls you uh, to come somewhere like Virginia. And uh, if we can do anything to partner with you, you let us know. And you pray about that. You consider that. There's great need all around us. Amen. Great opportunity for you to serve, and I trust that you're even involved serving right here, right now, wherever God may have you. Well, I just got to thinking about while we're here in this room, as I was uh, contemplating being back here for chapel, uh, I've got a lot of memories, and I won't go down memory lane because that's not why you're here, okay? Um, But I do remember, and maybe this will be just kind of let you know Uh, what it was like for me in seminary, my master's program, Dr. Pace, but I remember one particular New Testament class. I was in a New Testament, it was an exam day. Uh, It was in the basement. I don't know if they still do the New Testament intro class down here or not, but I was in class just below Binkley, and a professor passes out the exam, and he says, by the way, there's some extra credit, and uh, and hope that'll help you guys, hope boost your grade a little bit. And so, uh, work through the exam, get to that extra credit question. And here it is, I wrote it down. Which day of the week will Easter occur in the year 2050? Which day of the week will Easter occur in the year 2050? Taking into account the spring equinox occurs on March 20th, 2050, and the first full moon after the spring equinox will be Thursday, April 7th, 2050. Now, he acted like it was just going to be an easy question, almost like a freebie. And I'm, I mean, classmate after classmate turned in their exams, and, and I'm sitting there working what appears to me to be a complicated math and astronomy problem, all right? And I'm working on scratch paper. I'm, I'm trying to remember algebra from college. I'm, I'm, I'm using my fingers to try to count dates on. And as the time limit for the class approaches, I'm like the last student in the room, and in desperation, I just took a wild guess. Which day of the week is that Easter is going to occur in the year 2050? I'm thinking, how am I supposed to know this? I just wrote down Tuesday, (laughs) and I turned in the exam. That's a 
And so the encouragement, and everybody knows the, let me just give you a freebie here, in case, in case that's on you. It's, it's, what day of the week is it? It's, it's Sunday, no matter what year, all right? And so for those of you that are kind of beginning the semester nervously, let me just give a testimony. Um, just hang in there with New Testament and uh, persevere with it. And even if you don't get the extra credit right, Lord willing, you too will graduate from Southeastern Seminary. But anyway, um, so I just want to give you, I want to give you a little, a, little, a little quiz here, a little quiz. Except for Jesus Christ, who is one of the greatest leaders who ever lived? This is a little more subjective than the other question. Just, just think of, except for Jesus, we'll assume that, greatest leader who ever lived. Just, just whisper a name maybe to a neighbor or just have one in your mind. Got, got, got somebody in, in, in mind? I dare say that Jesus gave a little insight into that question. And I know we may have a New Testament prof here, and they might take some exception with this, but I, I have an angle on this, some application I'm hoping to make this morning for us in the room. I don't know that Jesus really mentions Abraham, the father of faith, Moses, the instrument of God to deliver his people out of bondage. Not David, the humble shepherd, warrior, greatest of Israel's king. Not Daniel, Noah, Samuel, Solomon, Isaiah, every notable figure, perhaps even in secular history. Jesus mentions John the Baptist. Matthew 11, 11 reads, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. In the passage we're going to look at today in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, I think we catch a glimpse of the heart of John the Baptist really as a leader. So I'm going to lean into the topic for a few minutes this morning and be a little presumptuous here to try to tackle this subject, how to be a great Christian leader, all right? And I think we get some insights from John the Baptist. And when you look at the scriptures, just look at verse 22. Look at what the Bible says. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anan near Salim because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. For John, this is, a, this is a parenthetical piece of information here because of what's written about him in the other Gospels. This, this Gospel coming a few decades later after the synoptics, filling in some blanks for the readers here, just letting them know John had not been put in prison yet. Verse 25, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John, and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I have said, and he had said this already numerous times, quote, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him, end quote. The one who has, has the bride is the, is, is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice, he continues to explain to them. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete, verse 30. Maybe underline this in your Bible, score. If you need a life verse as a Christian leader, as a minister of the gospel, this right here ought to be 
un, you know, ought to be on the list. He who, he must increase, but I must decrease. Let, let's read that again. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, I know there's more to the explanation of Jesus referring to John the Baptist as no one has been born of woman greater than he, than, than I'm getting at today. But I do think John the Baptist gives us an illustration of a, of a really great, quote, Christian leader. I think what we see here in the heart of John the Baptist is understanding his place in this whole picture of us presuming as we come to a place like this that we're going to be prepared to be leaders in the kingdom of God, to be leaders in the Lord's church, to be leaders on the mission field. Because by the way, the churches that are helping to send you here and have cheered you on and that give and support a place like Southeastern Seminary and the work of this seminary, we're, we're hoping, we're believing that, that leaders are indeed being equipped and leaders are going to be ready for the task at hand. But how, how are we to approach that? How, how are we to be the kind of leader that Jesus wants us to be? I, I think John the Baptist gives us a clue here. I think he, help, he helps us to, to see firsthand the tension we feel sometimes when we're in leadership. I think he is going to teach us and is speaking to the reality of the importance of humility, humility as perhaps <laughs> rule number one when it comes to serving in Christian ministry. I mean, you're here studying a bachelor's program, a master's program, maybe an advanced degree program, and perhaps you just feel like you're beginning in your ministry. You're just kind of getting started in ministry, and this is a good way to start strong. But I want to go ahead and kind of cast your attention on not just starting strong, but, but leading well, and then ultimately, how can we finish well? I mean, John the Baptist didn't have the qualities we often admire, notice in people, but, but I think he gives us a good example. So I want to pray for us, and I just want to point out maybe a, a, a couple insights for us today related to his example. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the privilege to be able to open the Bible with other believers. And I do pray, Lord, for our neighbors and the nations. Thank you for the work of this seminary. Thank you for Dr. Aiken and the leadership and the faculty and the staff here. Thank you for the investment they have made in me and continue to make in my life. And I pray for the men and women gathered in this place, listening online, Lord, your greatest blessings upon them. May each and every one of us continue, continue to seek your face. And Lord, I do pray that indeed we would humble ourselves before you as your servants. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord God, you are my rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just with that context, just, a, just a, a few insights or lessons I'd like to just present to you today related to how to be a great Christian leader that I think John the Baptist highlights for us here. Here's number one. My mindset, my mindset may be a bigger problem than I realize. My mindset may be a bigger problem than I realize. You go back to verse 22, it says, after this, Jesus and his disciples, they go into the Judean countryside, and it says he remained there with them and was baptizing. Now, now we know over in chapter 4, verse 2, a clarification, Jesus himself wasn't the one doing the baptizing, his disciples did. Now, I think that was, I think that is a, 
a, a brilliant move by our Lord Jesus because can you just imagine if you would have been one of the folks baptized by Jesus himself? We'll talk about a struggle with humility. Well, who, who baptized you? Was it, was it Peter? No, 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 actually, actually, uh, Jesus baptized me. He didn't baptize anybody. His disciples did the baptizing. And, and, and you read on and it says, John also was baptizing. And John, as you know, had been baptizing. Of course, he had baptized Jesus. And you, it's interesting, you can go back and read and study on your own some of the background of baptisms taking place amongst the Jews. And of course, John calling people to repentance and to seek the Lord. But you're going to see here, John understands his place in the grand scheme of things. He understands his role. But then when you get down into verse 25, you see this note, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you, I can kind of see them pointing over, over there to Jesus. He, they don't even call him by name, he who was with you <laughs> across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing. You notice that they don't, they don't call him Jesus. They don't call him Rabbi. They just refer to him with that pronoun, he. The one you baptize, he's, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. A little bit of exaggeration there, a little bit of hyperbole there. All are going to him. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of discussion as a, as a Christian leader working with your ministry? Or maybe you've even felt that at some point. Wonder, well, it seems like everybody's now going over there. Kent Hughes points out this. He says, quote, this was an emotional exaggeration because not all were coming to Jesus. John was still performing the work of baptism, but his disciples, they were worried. They were jealous. They're envious. Their pride is stirred up. Teacher, leader, your star is sinking. It's not shining as bright as it used to. Your ministry is diminishing. What are we going to do? The implication was they we're not going to allow John to take a back seat to anyone else. But John gives them an answer in verse 27. Look at what he says. Look at what he says to him. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. I tell you what, my mindset as a Christian leader, if I'm not careful, I'll find myself beginning to think that it's all on me. I'll find myself beginning to think it's more about me than it ever really was. That, that's what's so tricky about, about being a Christian leader is, is, is it just, it gets thrust upon us sometimes. Sometimes it's going to come from the very folks we're trying to serve and we're trying to, to lead to the Lord Jesus. This is why my mindset is so critical in this. It has to, it has to be something that I that I watch, that I keep in mind. And, and John puts his finger on it. All success in ministry comes from the gracious hand of God. You see, if I'm not careful, my mindset, my attitude as a Christian leader, it, it, can, it can go to jealousy. It can, it can go to pride. It can become one of self-sufficiency. James 3.16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. You, you don't have to be the greatest Bible scholar in the world to, to understand pretty, pretty quickly in reading the Bible 
the very, very poor view of pride, but also the lesson of how sinister and actually how prevalent the issue of pride can be for us. And it's not as simple as me just saying, well, I'm just, I'm just going gonna, gonna to admit that I'm prideful. Oh, that's a place I definitely have to admit. Lord, I've got a prideful heart. Because the trouble is, oftentimes, it's, it's, it could very well be a bigger problem for me than I even realize. Proverbs 6, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So, so what should my, mind, my mindset reflect well, if not, if, if jealousy and pride and self-sufficiency are, are not of the Lord, well, well we know what, what, what I need to be putting my mind on. I, I need to seek to humble myself before the Lord. I, I need to, to not do anything out of selfish ambition. That's what Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Proverbs 11, 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. I think there's also just this, this, this understanding, this mindset that I must remain completely dependent upon the Lord. All success, John says, it, it, it really comes from the gracious hand of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, now I know that, that, that different generations have had different leaders they look to as a model, but one for me and my generation, I know he's going home to be with the Lord now, and, 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 he, and he led a, a, a massive ministry in my lifetime, preached to more people than any person probably in modern history, and that was a man named Billy Graham. And hopefully you've heard of him. If you've never read a biography on him or his autobiography, I think you certainly should. But Wade Goodall shares a testimony about a conversation he had with this very famous evangelist, Billy Graham. Before crusade began, they, they were in kind of the side room, and it was real quiet, and and uh, a lot of people call him Dr. Graham. Billy Graham, they say, would, they always in his organization refer to him as Mr. Graham. He was just standing there. And wherever he would go in the world, he always drew a huge crowd. Tremendous responses, he writes. The media comes out, interviews you, dignitaries, government leaders want your counsel. And he asked Mr. Graham, Mr. Graham, how does this make you feel? He said he looked at me for a few moments and he responded, quote, I feel like a worm. I don't think that's self-deprecation. I, I think that was him being honest. He said, I, I, I feel like a worm. You know, the heading in the ESV Bible says, John the Baptist exalts Christ. Beloved ones, this, this, this can be hard, all right? Don't, we, we must not, we, we ought not to fool ourselves. This can be hard. I, li I like what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. He said, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He'll not be a sort of greasy, smarmy, I had to look that up. That's a person who's always like kissing up to you. That's a person who's always trying to act like they're groveling or something like that. He's always telling you that, of course, he's a nobody. That's, that's not humility. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap, you got to love the way Lewis writes, who took a real interest in what you said to him. 
If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He'll not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell them the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud and a biggish step too. At least nothing, whatever can be done before it. If you think you're not conceited, it means you're very conceited indeed. That's C.S. Lewis. So, so a Christ-exalting mindset humbles oneself. But number two, my ministry, my ministry should be all about Jesus and not myself. This, this isn't rocket science. This isn't super complicated. Look, look down at verse 28 now. This is what John says. He looks at his, at, his, at his followers. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Don't miss that. Just that simple statement. I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. And by the way, neither are you. <laughs> I sometimes think that every now and then I probably just need to stand before the mirror and just say, you're not the Messiah. You're not the Christ. But a lot of times as we're serving people, it's, it can sometimes feel like they kind of want us to be that, doesn't it? We, got, we have to keep pointing, them, we keep pointing them to the Lord. You know, give you a little, little illustration. You go over to ministry placement office, if it's still over that direction, that's where it was eons ago when I went to school here. You go over there, one job, that is not open, job of Messiah. Just, we all know that, right? We all get that. So just, 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 if you get, if we get nothing out of this again, let's just remind ourselves, listen, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. That's what John Baptist, that's what John the Baptist would tell us. Look, I'm not the Christ, neither you. Just look at someone right now and just say, I'm not the Christ, okay? Just do that right now, I'm not the Christ. And, and then he goes on, he gives an illustration. In verse 29, he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Now, I won't get into all of the, of the background of the way the best man and the bride and the, and, the, and the bridegroom, how all that worked in the Jewish culture. It's an interesting read on your own because... Just, just put it in our context because there's probably some folks in here, maybe you just got married, maybe you're hoping to get married, you're planning to get married, maybe some of you in here, you've been, you know, like a, a maid of honor or you've been the best man. I looked it up. On Amazon, there's actually a book called Best Man for Dummies. Best Man for Dummies. Now, I looked at it. Don't, don't buy it because it's got a lot of stuff in there that no best man in this room needs to be doing, all right? But, 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 but just picture it like this. I mean, can you just imagine being at a wedding and the best man making it all about himself? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of humorous to think about. I mean, I can only imagine the bride being like, why on earth did you ask him to be your best man? I mean, what if during the, what if during the ceremony, it's really comical to me to think about, what if in the ceremony the best man was just sitting there and he's trying to get all the attention on him away from the bride and their groom? Even those of us in the room that get confused which day of the week Easter's on, no, we shouldn't do that, amen? <laughs> That's not being a good best man. John is making the point to them, guys, listen, it's not about me. It can't be about me. Josh Moody wrote this, you cannot point people to Christ until you've learned to point them away from yourself. 
Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 and 7, for God who said, let light, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, and here's the amazing truth of it, we have this treasure in us as jars of clay, as fragile. We're not, we're not pieces of china. We're like, we're like throwaway Starbucks cups. I mean, we have this treasure, though, in us to show, though, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, y'all know we're not the treasure. We're just the jars of clay. But nevertheless, we do have the treasure to share. We're not strong. We're weak. We're inadequate. But nevertheless, God wills to work through our witness. And that's what John the Baptist is wanting these folks to get. You see, a Christ-exalting mindset, it may actually be a bigger problem for me than I realize. I'm to humble myself. I, a Christ-exalting ministry is all about Jesus and not about me. And then, let me just kind of give it this sum up. A Christ-exalting mission points people to Jesus above all else. I mean, look at what he says in verse 30. He says, he must increase. I must decrease. It took me a couple times reading this passage. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I had never really studied this passage in depth or even preached it until earlier this year, our pastor at Parkway, Pastor Derek, is preaching through the Gospel of John. And he asked me to preach one Sunday, and this was what was next. And I'll tell you what, it, it, really, it really took me to school. He must increase, but I must decrease. Why must Jesus increase? Well, because he's the Christ. He's the Messiah, Brian. Interesting. You go on in verse 31, and it seems most, commentary, uh, most commentaries, most scholars seem to now think we're, we're going to shift from John the Baptist back to John the Apostle. But I think it's good to read through it because you go back to John's, the Apostle John's big picture idea of the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, all about calling people to believe in Jesus as the Christ to trust him as their Lord and Savior. Look at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth. He speaks in an earthly way. John the Baptist, you, there's the, you know, leaders in the room. Jesus is above all. He's from heaven. He knows, he knows, he He's God himself. He's the one we must point people to. Look at what it says in verse 30, verse 32. He bears witness to what he's seen and what he has heard. Now, yet it says no one receives his testimony. And that's giving us that strong in your face statement there, realizing that everyone's not going to receive Jesus. We know that, right? As we point people to Jesus, Remember, I can't, I can't build my sense of identity and self-worth on, on my, quote, success. But I, but I ought to remember whom I faithfully proclaim and who I point people to each and every day. 
as a follower of Jesus. Because you see, first and foremost, I may be seeking to be a leader for Christ, but I can never, ever get away from the reality. I must cling to that notion that I am first and foremost a follower of Christ. I point people to Jesus. That's my mission. And then he says in verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. You see, the reality is, you know, this people, some will reject the message you preach. Some will laugh at the mission you have surrendered your life to. Many will reject, but there will be those who receive. There will be those who receive. They will receive Jesus, for whom God has sent, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. We now enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit empowers you for the ministry that he has set before you. Never forget the Father loves the Son, but yet has given all things into his hands. And then, by the way, in that picture of how much God the Father loves the Son, let us never forget that Jesus in John's gospel, you get the point over and over and over again, this loving Father sent this Son on a mission to give his life for sinners such as us. Verse 36, then whoever believes in the Son, this is why he must increase and I must decrease. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's why we pray God's blessings on the three years he has you here. To talk with students God may call out to help prompt some to hear that call that They may indeed go serve in a land where they've never even heard the name Jesus. So, loved ones, let us today realize that God has given us a mission. It's certainly not to point people to ourselves. He must increase, I must decrease, but to point people, plainly said, point them to Jesus. Because this may be hard to fathom, But even north of the border, and it's probably true down the street in Raleigh, you will still find people in the world you call home that when you tell them the name Jesus, oh, yeah, I've heard of him, but they don't really know anything about him. Our pastor was telling me a while back that he was sharing with a young lady who worked, I think it was at a tire store in our county, Invited her to Christmas Eve service at church. And she said, why on earth would I go to church on Christmas? What's church got to do with Christmas? Yeah. That's why my mindset has to be one where I humble myself before the Lord. Because all success comes from him. Where I realize that really my ministry, success... It's, it's got to be about Jesus and not myself. And my mission's pointing people to him. Because in the end, in the end, P. 
people come and go through this place, professors, presidents, students. He must increase. Got to thinking about finishing well. I've been thinking about that a lot, Dr. Lawless, these past few months, and Dr. Pace. This year, this year, 2023, three Three men that have impacted my life as examples of, quote, great Christian leaders have gone on to be with the Lord. One was Doyle Chauncey, who served at one time as the executive director in Virginia. And uh, he wasn't a perfect man. None of these three were. But, man, he really um, he sought to point people to Jesus. He had a great heart for church planting. That's one reason our convention just doubled down on planting churches. He really was instrumental in my life to encourage me as a, as a church planner and pastor. Second is a layman, Sam League. You know him, Dr. Law, Sam League. He helped us plant the church that, Dr. Pace, you preached at. Sam wasn't there when you preached because Sam, for the past five years, had been homebound because of kidney failure. His wife was, she is a dear sister in the Lord. Um, Sam passed away this spring. Sam was my prayer partner. But not just mine, prayer partner to many. In fact, I told our pastors and I told their family, I said, listen, you're going to have ministers fighting over his funeral. <laughs> he was just that beloved. Thankful for a layman like that, who his number one ask of me as a young pastor was, hey, can I pray with you on Tuesday mornings? Man, I had to be one of the, I've looked back, so that's got to be one of the reasons that that I was able to press on. The third was a man who taught here some and worked in ministry placement, Julian Motley, whose funeral was in this room, I think, just a couple weeks ago. To all the students in the room right now, yeah, you, you probably wouldn't have a clue who, who Reverend Motley is. I took every class they ever let him teach down in this basement on pastoral ministry. He had no advanced degrees, but he did have a lot of wisdom. I remember he would end every class quoting Ephesians 3, 20, 21, you know, now to him who is able to do more than we ask or even think. I ended up claiming those as my life verses. Why? Because a man who made much of Jesus and less of himself came on this campus and said, I want to invest my last years in some seminary students. But here's the thing, you likely won't remember any of those names when you leave this room, and that's okay. That's o that would be okay with the three of them. Because in the end, they would want us just to know, finishing well, well, bottom line it. Finish well, let's try to keep in mind that he must increase, I must decrease. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I just pray right now for these brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray right now that you would indeed help us to finish well. I think back to my college and seminary roommate, Brother Doug, pastors in Virginia, and I think back to him just the other week, reminding me that at our graduation, we were told, look to your left, look to your right. And consider if in 30 years you'll still be in ministry.
because one of them might not be. And how Doug texted me, I wonder, I remember, Brian, how you were sitting to my right. I wonder how the guy to my left is doing. Father, we face attack. We face warfare in the endeavor you've called us to. But Lord, you are faithful and sovereign. Lord, I pray today our attention as the semester is now underway will be drawn to you as Christian leaders. That we'll humble ourselves before you. We'll make ministry all about you and not ourselves. We'll keep pointing people to you. Depending on your strength each and every day, God help us to finish well. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.